That gets back to your beliefs and your behaviors and unpacking that and where they came from. And that can be super uncomfortable, right? That's, that's bringing up stuff that you put in the closet for a reason, right? (laughs) And, and giving the space to say, it's okay. It's okay that you've had those experiences and that you're now showing up like this because of that. But once you name it and once you shine the light on it, it sort of a takes away the power of those experiences, but it also gives you the autonomy and the choice to say, I'm going to hang on to that or I'm going to do it differently going forward. Welcome to the Healthy Love and Money Podcast. If you find money to be the number one, two, or even third largest source of stress in your relationship, then you're in the right place. Going beyond how to budget, invest, and do your taxes, we're going to explore financial intimacy. Discover how to talk with your partner about your shared financial life. Let's take the awkward and painful out-of-money conversations. Join me and hit follow to listen to weekly inspiring, healing, and motivating interviews with financial therapists, couples therapists, and financial planners, and so many more. Let's go on the journey of financial intimacy together. Hi, everyone. It's my distinct honor to welcome my friend and colleague, Tara Unprezat, to the show. Tara is an incredible and dynamic financial planner and fellow financial therapist. And she has a world of wisdom and perspective in working with families and money. And so I'm so excited to have her here today to talk with us about the work that she's doing with with the families in her firm and really about how families can navigate wealth and relationships better. Tara, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. I, I really enjoy your show. I listen to pretty much every episode and it always has something new and different and like a new lens that I haven't thought about before. So I'm really, I'm honored to be here. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I'm so glad to have you here. And we've had so many great conversations over the years that I know this, this time of uh, sharing, it's kind of like basically letting people listen into the conversations we have. anyways. Terry, can you tell us a little bit about how you've gotten into this work of financial therapy and and financial planning? What's your personal journey into the work? Ah, Well, I grew up with one of the original CFPs. Uh, My mom, uh, my dad was an entrepreneur uh, doing management consulting. And when he left a nine to five job to start his own business, my mom became his back room and was the family back room. So did, you know, the family budget and supported him and did his business um, budgeting and realized that he needed a IRA, a retirement account. It wasn't, I don't think an IRA back then, they came later. Um, This is in the 60s, so mid 60s that this happened. So she um, needed to start a retirement account, talked to a stockbroker, wasn't super happy with what she heard from him, went to a banker, had experience actually, she had worked in a bank for a while. Um, wasn't really happy about their investment recommendations, and she decided that she would figure it out. So she figured out how to invest his retirement account. She did taxes for seniors for the IRS, as well as our family taxes. She did family budgeting. She got a paralegal and estate planning because that's what stay-at-home moms do, I guess. I don't know. but And then she started teaching classes at the community college, and people started asking um, if she would be willing to help them 
with their personal finances and, and, you know, figuring this out for themselves. So she started working with individual clients. That was sort of the start of her business. Then the CFP came along. She decided, you know, she already had all of that credential. So she got her CFP and partnered up with two other um, people. And then that was uh, her, her journey. So I grew up with a financial planning mom and, um, and, uh, just thinking and breathing that, you know, that was just our day-to-day life. And I always sort of knew in the back of my mind that when I had kids, I wanted to be a financial planner too, because I could see how I could be a stay-at-home mom and raise kids while also continuing doing that. And to be honest, from the time I was little, I loved money, like physically counting it, stacking up quarters, and it wasn't like I needed money, but I just was, I just thought it was so fun. And uh, so actually I went to college to be a computer science. I have, I'm a computer science major. That was my first career. And when I switched, when I decided to have get married and have children, I switched and all of my computer science friends said, about time, like we all knew you were going to be doing that. Like, why did it take you so long? So that was just sort of a natural transition. So that's how I got started. I started my own business. And then, but I was doing backroom for my mom's business and I was doing her compliance uh, work and I was trying to come up with the succession plan, couldn't come up with anything that she liked. So um, finally I said, well, why don't I fold my business into your business and then I can be your succession plan. So she loved that idea. I think that's what she wanted me to say from the beginning, but didn't know how to. So um, I folded my business into her business and I worked with her for a little over 20 years. And she decided at 78 that she was going to retire. And so I spent a year trying to take over the business and it just wasn't working. And I wasn't, I hadn't started studying financial therapy at that point. Had I known some of the things I know now, I would have done that completely differently. But a year into it, she announces she's selling the business. She's not giving it to me. And I'm like, oh, were you going to talk to me about that? <laughs> and I was like, okay, whatever. You need to take care of you. I need to take care of me. I'm going to step out and start my own business again, which surprised her. I'm not sure why. She's an entrepreneur. My dad's an entrepreneur. Like, why would she think that I would want to work for somebody else? But she did have that misconception. So I started my business. She tried to sell the business for a year, couldn't sell it any more than she could let me have it. And I realized years later, the problem was, I thought she she had a company name that had her name in it. And I thought she wanted that legacy to move on. I would have wanted that legacy to move on. I wanted that legacy to move on. I wanted to honor that that legacy. And it turned out she couldn't care less about that. She wanted her clients to be taken care of. She just wanted me to take her clients. She did not want me taking over her business. And I was like, that when that light dawned, I was like, oh my God, I waste so much time and energy. <laughs> but I ended, she ended up just telling her clients that she was retiring a week before turning 80 and um, giving them some choices of places to go. I was not going to take them because at this point, I'm two years into my company and my demographic was different than what her demographic was. But there was a couple that I was I was willing to take because they either were in my niche or because I loved them and I, I wanted to keep them. Um, but it turned out what the the crowning blow was one of the clients who's probably the highest anxiety client. When she told him, he broke down crying in her office and he was a tax client of mine. I had taken over the tax business. 
And he was a client of mine. And I was like, oh, it just broke my heart to hear. He was just so stressed out about what was he going to do? How was he going to find a replacement for her? So then I was said, you know what? I'll open it up to whoever wants to come over. So she gave out three business cards. One of them was mine. Anybody who wanted to call could call. Turned out everybody called. <laughs> and I ended up January 1st, 2017, onboarding 65 clients, transferring accounts in Schwab, you know, developing relationships, figuring out what their goals are. Like, and, and some of them I had been working with for a long time. Some of them I hadn't, but none of them had, a, what did I have that close relationship? I had more the investment goal relationship, not the personal relationship. So 2017 was a, a blur for me, but I did get through it and got on my feet. And then we went from there. So, and that demographic is 70 plus. 70 to 96. My, my oldest client now is 96 years old. Um, and so I had to figure out how am I integrating those clients with this other demographic, which is really 20 to 40 year olds getting started. Um, how do I bring those two together? And so that was my next journey that I went on for the last five years. And we've landed where we're at now. I mean, I think you know, the thing that's so neat is so many financial planners are in it because of their own family journey with money. And yours couldn't be more literal, like it's not just your family money journey, but it's like, that was the family business. And I think one of the things that really stands out to me about yeah. your story, Tara, is, is, is my gender bias, we'll call it that, maybe it's something else and that. But you know, I think the, the typical business owner story is dad sets up the business and son is struggling with dad to take over the business, right? Like that's the, the story that I feel like is so emblematic. And yet what you're sharing is like, this is mother and daughter working through business transition. And I think it's such a powerful story to expand and highlight. I don't know what the percentage is, but there are a number of female business owners that are probably working with their daughters to try to transition yeah. the business and the struggle there. And, the, and I think about how all of that and working through it probably brings more compassion for your clients that you're working with now as they're often business owners struggling to figure out how do we transition this to the next generation and the next generation is what do we do with mom or dad and the frustrations and anxieties <laughs> that they have and you know yeah, yeah. you can sit more in the middle between the two generations and help them find yeah. some common ground and i have to say that when she decided to sell and i stepped away i i felt like a bird that had been in a cage and didn't even know it but now the door was open and i could fly because she, you know, and I do have a computer background. So I am very tech forward <laughs> and she is, you know, tech struggles. She didn't grow up with computers like I did. So, you know, that was a completely different thing and, and just the way, and also I have an MBA and she doesn't. So the way I structure businesses are completely different than the way she did as somebody who just grew into um, running a business. With my dad, who was a business consultant. So he he did, you know, he wasn't her consultant, and I think he, you know, intentionally did not step into that. But he would like lob, you know, suggestions, but but not like get too too involved. Um, so yeah, so there was that difference too that I think was a bit of this struggle, but also like, and also to your point, you know, women and women running businesses, and especially my mom running a business starting and running a business in the 60s and 70s like that that didn't in the financial industry like right. that didn't happen right that's really like out of 
the you know the norms um and so the way that she ran it was completely different and that was the other thing stepping out and looking around in my competition and who you know how do i differentiate myself and stuff i had no idea because i had spent 20 years in the family business and we do things this way i had no idea that the financial world was really stockbrokers and insurance people calling themselves investment advisors and really they're just selling products like i didn't i didn't know because we never did that that was never part of how we did financial planning. And and frankly, the reason why my mom got in this business was because she was offered that and she said, no, that's not a good answer. I want a better answer. And so she developed a better answer for herself and then she offered it to her community. And so, and that happened in, you know, the seventies. So I grew up in that. And then when I step out and I realize, oh, that's unusual. That's not how you do it. Like that was a mind blower to me. And I felt alone because I didn't have any other people until I found XYPN and then NAPFA. And then I realized, oh, there's a whole world here that that does think this way. Um, they came up, they and every single person that I've talked to who is in this industry, even when they're in XYPN or NAPFA, they came up in that sales role hated it and stepped out and and was doing it differently. So they got trained in that and they sort of have to untrain themselves. And I never, that was just not part of my ethos ever. So in this, you know, I think there will be people that are listening that are in the industry, working in the industry, and they love financial therapy and financial psychology. So they're listening, but there might be other people that are listening. They're like, whoa, you just lost me a little bit here. So what? <laughs> what? <Yeah. laughs> every profession has its own culture and its own history that unless you're in it you don't know it but as a on the consumer side when you're looking for financial help what should people be thinking about when they're looking for financial planning type now that you have have this big bigger perspective what do you think two or three things that you think someone that's looking for a really high quality financial planner like yourself like me or somebody else right we're not going to be everyone's cup of tea um Right. What should, what should people yeah. know about the industry just so that they're more informed? So that's a really, really good question. And it is really hard to differentiate. Um, and uh, a couple things stick out. One is one really interesting thing to me is that most people are looking for somebody to help them with investments. Investments is scary. They don't know how to begin. They've never done it. And so really they're looking for an investment advisor. And the fact is the big secret nobody wants to talk about, like as long as you're investing in anything, you're probably fine. Like a a good investor, the highest quality investment advisor is going to tweak a couple of, you know, bips as we say not even a percentage right they're gonna they're gonna tweak a little bit more but basically they're not gonna do much more than you finding a high quality mutual fund or etf or a robo or whatever you're gonna get 90 percent of the way there just doing something basic low fee you know whatever um but people are willing to pay a lot from for that because that's where their anxiety is and, and the fact is that's one piece of the whole pie and they don't realize there's a whole pie. And what the whole pie is, 
where are you going? What is your spending plan, which includes your expenses, your saving for now, saving for the future, saving for an emergency, risk mitigation, making sure that you have the insurance or that you self-insure, you're choosing intentionally to self-insure. Um, you have your estate plan put together, which even a 20-year-old has an estate plan, and that is beneficiaries on your account and your life insurance at work, making sure that if something, if you get hit by a bus, that, that your assets are going the places that you want to. So those are the rest of the things. And all of those actually move the needle more. And as my mom, my I grew up with my mom saying, it's not what you invest in that moves the needle. It's how you make your day-to-day decisions. And it's those day-to-day decisions that hugely move the needle. And what are those day-to-day decisions? Those day-to-day decisions are how am I spending my money and am I spending it for my better good, for my family's better good? Um, am I you know, getting caught up in a trap of shoulds and all of that? It's also, am I insuring myself? So if anything happens to me, my family is taken care of. That's huge, you know? If it, it, Do I have my estate plan so that my family doesn't have to get into the quagmire of uh, probate and, you know, sort of lose control and make everything public because they didn't, you know, take a couple of steps to, to not have that happen. So there's those, those really easy day-to-day things, but people don't really want to think about them because... It takes cognitive energy. And we're living in a world where we're making a gazillion decisions every single day on everything from what am I going to wear in the morning? How am I going to eat? And, you know, how do I have to do meal planning or am I just going to go out to eat or whatever? Like there's a gazillion things that we need to make decisions about. And so these really important financial decisions just get put to the wayside because we just don't have the energy to stop and focus on them. And I so totally get that. Welcome to 2024, and thank you for listening to the Healthy Love and Money podcast. I'd like to take you behind the scenes of therapy-informed financial planning, where we talk about emotions. We talk about retirement plans. We talk about painful family experiences with money, and so much more. There's no need to hide things that leave you feeling embarrassed or ashamed about your financial situation. This year, we watch couples and individuals work through financial anxiety and start talking lovingly about money. We saw couples and individuals take action towards their goals, like closing a business that no longer fit them, paying off debt that felt crushing, increasing their comfort with their realized wealth, and ultimately overcoming some of those financial secrets that have been plaguing the relationship. Ultimately, the best part was seeing smiles return to our clients' faces about life, relationships, and money. This is why we do therapy-informed financial planning. I invite you to make 2024 the year you start therapy-informed financial planning. Check the show notes below to schedule your free 30-minute consultation. Do you think that that is actually one of the biggest values of working with a financial planner is creating a space for clients to have the time to make the decisions and to be thoughtful about their financial life. And also to sit with them in their pain. Yeah. Right. So, and like I, I, we've been working at this and you and I have had this discussion with um, people coming. So there's two things. One is there was somebody posted in a financial planning Facebook group about somebody 
he had been quoted in an article, a prospect had called him to say that he was vetting financial planners. He had decided to go with Vanguard, but he was calling this guy to ask him when he should start working with Vanguard. And the guy's like, what? Why would somebody call me to ask me about hiring somebody else? And I was baffled by this too. I asked a couple of questions and I was thinking about it for a week. And then I realized, oh my gosh, this guy wants help with making financial decisions. And all he was, you know, and really the proper response to him would be, my hourly fee is, do you want to, you know, sign up for an hour and we can discuss that and I can help you. And maybe in that discussion, you might find out that Vanguard might not be the right choice for you because you might have, have higher needs than what you're thinking you're going to get at Vanguard. And so we can discuss that too. Like, will they meet? what you need or will they not meet what you need and this is what i provide and you know is that what you need but do that in a space where like it's collaborative and so we have this we allow for um hourlies and it's for this very reason because some people aren't ready to hire me because they don't even know what they need or want so let's take some time figuring it out like where are you and where are your stressors and where do you have anxiety and what do you need to focus on? And maybe you don't need to pay thousands of dollars for a plan because you're not there yet. And that would be sort of, you know, throwing away money. Although the way we do our plans, we don't do it in a traditional way. And it could, it's some people take 18 months to, to do a plan. And that's just the way it is. And we have, you know, meetings to deal with issues that come up like, I don't know what I want in life. Okay, that that's real. I get it. I hear you. Let's talk about that. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's, it was so amazing. I think, you know, what I, I love the kind of response. I remember seeing that post as well. And I think it's really about remembering that people outside of our industry don't know our industry and how to navigate it and it's like our job to be an ambassador yeah. to our industry and to welcome them yeah. and i think about like this is coming to my mind but like the folks at disneyland like what do they know everyone that's coming to, the, to disneyland is like wanting to have a great time but they kind of can be overwhelmed and confused with all the great things to choose from all the things to do and they want to make it meaningful and memorable but they don't even know how and so like yeah. our industry is like disneyland for people but even more important because <laughs> you know like what we do or don't do with our you know amusement rides of money and the stock market are going to determine the pleasure of our life and so as professionals like it's incumbent on us to be like disneyland employees and just like so excited to see people welcome we understand it can be confusing sometimes to be here but like we're here to help you navigate it we don't want you to have a bad experience yeah, but there ends up being two problems in our industry. One is that um, people are trying to be efficient. They're trying to get as many clients right. as they can. They're trying to process them. They're trying to be super efficient and right. humans aren't efficient. They're just not efficient. And so like that conversation in that that uh, Facebook group with this prospect trying to figure stuff out, like he he was trying to figure something out. He had a question. He didn't understand something and something needed to be explained to him. And it's not really the ethos of our in, in industry to stop, slow down right. and and listen to what's actually being said. and. 
And, you know, problem clients, I always tell other financial planners, your problem client is my ideal client because they they want to get through in a hurry. And this person is, you know, like flaring with, you know, anxiety for a reason. And and if you don't address that, you know, and that's the other thing I talk to my my colleagues and they're like, but but financial therapy takes so much time. Like, how do you how do you fit that in? And I'm like, A, I feel like we get paid enough that we we can afford to spend some extra time on this but also that you know spending a couple of extra hours of meetings really unpacking what is causing stress in this pro- this person will get them to opening up that IRA that you want them to open up that they haven't been opening up because you don't know why and there is a why that's happening Right. And if you just slow it down and open up the space for people to be nervous and uncomfortable and not know and ask questions and say, yeah, that's life. That's that's right. You haven't lived and breathed this for your whole life like I have. Right. Right. And so I don't even know what I know or what you should know and don't know until we have this conversation. And I have to say, I love, love, love that I have these financial therapy clients because they tell me exactly. They're like, Tara, you, I just flared. You just said something. And I can't, I, I can't even hear anything else you're saying because you just said that. And I'm like, oh, like, you know, my other clients wouldn't have said that. I wouldn't have known that same experience would have happened, but they would not have had the same reaction or felt safe to tell me that that happened and that I need to slow down. But because that client did, now I know dealing with all my other clients who aren't as sensitive as they say, um, and I can help them say, you know, if if I like sense even a glimmer that, yeah. hey, sometimes this is confusing and sometimes this can like be a roadblock. W- what's happening right now, you know? Tell me what your experience is, and and then we can decide how to go forward. You know what's so striking to me is you know it's not our clients' responsibility to help us grow as people and professionals, and yet no. what I know time and time again is our clients. So if you're listening and you're a client, you are helping us grow, and you're also helping. Yeah. And but what's seen about yeah. it is Tara, the context of financial therapy is about creating safety for people and treating them with. The utmost respect, unconditional regard is a phrase that I, I come up with all the time. But it's it's okay to name things and it's okay to give me feedback that like I said something that triggered you. Like that's okay here. That's safe. And that's actually for my lens, that's a corrective experience, especially talking about money, because a lot of the clients that I've grown up with, when they had money concerns or questions or anxieties in their families or in their broader communities, and they brought them. They would get rejected or criticized or ridiculed, which just taught them it's not okay to have questions and it's not okay to not know. And so what we're doing in financial therapy is basically saying it's okay to not know. It's understandable that we may step on each other's toes from time to time, but we're going to try to honor that and find common ground. My job is to be helpful for you and help you increase your sense of confidence. Right. And also understanding, you know, one of the really light bulbs that went off for me um, somewhere along the way, I'm not exactly sure when, is that my idea of help is helping people be like me and expecting people 
to think like me and and do the same things I do, right? And so I realized that like my financial planning was me layering my experiences on somebody else, which made no sense to to them or to like me in the long run, right? And so I realized that a lot of what my job is and like that when we create that financial plan, the reason why it takes an, a year and a half sometimes is that I have to figure out like, where have you been? How did you get here? Who are you? And where are you trying to go? And how can you go on that path given the experiences that you have? So, and I, we always talk about um, financial wellness being three prongs. So there's education, there's beliefs, and there's behaviors. And so our industry is, you know, hung up on people just need financial literacy. They just need to know. They don't know. They, they're not doing it because they don't know. Well, no, some people know what can happen, what they need to do. And, and I actually have had, you know, financial planners come to me to ask for help. And, and they, and, uh, you know, I do a survey that does their um, beliefs and behaviors and um, in their beliefs is they're super confident, but they're really low on everything else. And it's like, they know what they need to do, but they're not doing it. And they don't necessarily know why they're not doing it. They just know they're super uncomfortable because they know they should be doing this different, but they don't know why they're not doing it differently. Financial planners that, that have that, you know, that's not like somebody who has been educated and hundred percent knows what to do, but isn't doing it. So then why, why are you not doing that? Right. And that gets back to your beliefs and your behaviors and unpacking that and where they came from. And that can be super uncomfortable, right? That's that's bringing up stuff that you put in the closet for a reason, right? <laughs> and and giving this the space to to say it's okay. It's okay that you've had those experiences and that you're now showing up like this because of that. But it's but once you name it and once you shine the light on it, it sort of a takes away the power of those experiences. But it also gives you the autonomy and the choice to say, "I'm going to hang on to that, right. or I'm going to do it differently going forward." Wow, there's so much in there, listeners. You may have to go and hit that little rewind thirty second button, like hit that like three times, and go back and listen. <laughs> Terry just said because there's so much that's in there. But I, what I hope people hear is just knowing doesn't mean doing better. And if you're struggling with like I've learned what I should be doing and I'm not doing it, then it's there's beliefs and behaviors. And Tara and I can take this another layer deeper and a little more complicated. And I'm gonna we're gonna go there in just a minute. So hold on, everyone. But <laughs> It's okay if you're stuck and struggling. There's understandable reasons. And once you get a little bit of the psychology behind it and some empathic support, you'll be able to start moving forward again. There's very understandable belief patterns and behavioral patterns that have developed. And a great financial therapist can help you start to come in contact with that and work with that edge of discomfort and get it to move into more comfort. It's kind of like, finding that knot in your shoulder and then just slowly be able to work it out. And yeah, it doesn't quite feel great when it's getting worked out, but man, once it's worked out, it's like, 
hey, I can move my shoulder again. I got kind of range of motion again. And so that's really what we're talking about here is we're finding the knots in your psychological shoulder uh, around money. And you're going to hit yeah. them because when you engage your financial life, none of us are free of anxieties, fears, moments of shame or embarrassment around money. Like no one grows up and doesn't have at least a little bit of that. And I remember you asking me once uh, something along, you know, what, what uh, causes anxiety around money for you? And I was like, I don't have anything like I have, you know, I can pay my bills. I have plenty, blah, blah, blah. And then as soon as we finished that conversation, I thought about it a little further and I had a whole page of things that causes me anxiety. And I just had never realized it. Right. And part of it was because I was on the good side of things. Right. And so and the the number one thing that going on this journey for me has done is made me realize I have anxiety around spending money. I have high anxiety around spending money, which is awesome for wealth accumulation. So I am a success story because I can accumulate wealth. But you know what? I am not living. Well, now I am living my best life. I'm, I'm working towards that. But I wasn't living my best life because I was putting boundaries on myself because of that anxiety. And even today, I I, I still have the problem. You know, I mean, that's never going to go away. That part of me, and we'll go into IFS now, that part of me will always show up when I'm spending money. But at this point, I can now have a conversation with that part. It doesn't like overwhelm me. It doesn't, uh, you know, consume me, which gets back to my other point was, is that a lot of times people don't want to deal with it because when they think about whatever that anxiety is, it, they know if they step into it, they will be flooded and they will be overwhelmed and they will be shut down and they will not be able to go forward. And I've even had somebody tell me when I said, it's okay to feel disappointed or worried or whatever. It's okay to feel that. They were like, they stopped and they said, but if I do, how will I move forward? That will stop me. And and I light bulb moment, this person thought if they felt those things, they would be shut down. They would be so overwhelmed by those emotions that they would not be able to go forward. Holy cow, totally get that. And also, I know and have experience that you don't need to be overwhelmed. You can like, I think of it as an onion, right? Like just peel the onion. Let's just talk about that first layer. Can you do that? Like, does that seem reasonable? Like, what does, what is that? What does that look like? And then when you've done that, the next layer doesn't seem so bad. And you just like, not quick. And that's the thing is it's slow. And this is where our world hates slow hates yeah. inefficiencies, <laughs> but the fact is you have to go slow to go fast. Right. Yep. Yeah. 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 That's, you have to go slow to go fast. I think, I mean, that's, I have to continually come back to that. And it's, you know, the, the culture of therapy and the culture of financial planning are just oh, like oil and water sometimes like they, <laughs> and they, like, they both have wonderful things about them. Like, it's not yeah. Yeah. better than the other they're they're just different and they have different strengths and some blind spots and that's the field of therapy has its own set of blind spots as well let's let's be honest it's not not the perfect profession or set of ideas but it has some real value and i want to highlight because you've done so much work tara around internal family systems and you know some people listening will know what that is but a lot of people still have never heard of this so 
Can you explain what is internal family systems and, and kind of can let's link it to financial well-being and that kind of the you said literacy, beliefs, and behaviors. How does IFS work in conjunction with that? Yeah, so IFS, you know, sort of the 30-second um, description of it is way more complicated than this, but basically that we do have multiplicity of thought in our brain. That's just the way that our brain um, works. And we don't really like that in our country because we think of civil and multi, you know, uh, uh, um, uh, DID. And I'm thinking, I'm, yeah, and, and, right. Um, and, and the fact is, you know, that's, that's an extreme situation, but that all of us, the natural state for our, our brains is that we do have multiple thoughts going on at the same time. And really what I'm have been finding is that especially in financial planning, but I think in everything in life, we are, our, our conflicts and our, where we get stuck is when we have two thoughts that contradict each other. And there's a dissonance there that we can't resolve and and it it causes stress for us. And so we have to resolve it some way. And a lot of times what we do is we resolve it by saying, I am not allowed to have two thoughts because I'm a computer and a computer can only have one thought at a time. We're not we're actually more complex than a computer. And yes, we can have two thoughts, but we can I can only have one thought. So I, I'm not really thinking this one thought. I'm only thinking this the second thought. And so we'll just put this away and ignore it and pretend like it's not actually happening and we'll focus on this. And the problem is that other thought is still there and it's going to like pop out every once in a while. And that's really sort of what IFS is all about is that you have these different parts that have different thoughts and want to have a conversation with you. And, and you're shunning some of them away because they're bad or they don't fit with other parts that you call good and want to be more dominant. And so in an example of this, I always talk about how we all have a spending part and a, a saving part. And if your spending part gets a little bit too much attention, then you have a problem. But for me, the saving part got a little too much attention. So I went through my whole life thinking there was no problem until I realized, oh, this is actually a problem, too. Right. And so learning how to, to balance that out. Was it because the saver was good and the spender was bad as it as framed in your mind? And, and then it Yeah. Was, you want to know the whole story? It took it took me three years to figure this one out. Because <laughs> you are not the only one that has this arrangement. I, you know, it might be crack that not wide open. Oh, my goodness. So, yeah. And it's funny because one of the things. Uh, my favorite exercises is to ask people what their early money memory is. And I do this with clients, but I, I do this with my friends too. This is like a, you know, a, uh, a conversation around the dinner table with friends. Yeah. If you're friends with Tara, watch out. She's going to ask about money memories. Here we go. <laughs> and my earliest money memory was when I was like three or four years old. And my brother talked my sister and I into breaking open our piggy banks. We had these plastic pigs that we would put quarters in. And as I recall, like I got one quarter, my brother got two quarters, my sister got three quarters because that was our age difference. And we would put it in there and occasionally there'd be birthday money or something in there. And he wanted to um, count it. And I've already told you, I love money. I love counting money. I love touching money. I love everything about money. I thought that was a fabulous idea. So we're in his room on the floor, cracking open our piggy banks and counting them. I'm having a good time. My mom walks in and gets really upset with us. 
And I was confused. I didn't know why this was a problem, but it was. So that's my earliest money memory. And what happened at that point was she had us take that money and put it in the bank. And that was when I started my first bank account at like four years old. And I got a little booklet from the uh, bank that stamps $45, whatever was in there in this book. And I thought that was the cat's meow. And every time I put more money in, that money would go in and the bank would give me money. I thought that was just incredible, which is why I'm where I am now, right? I mean, that was really the start of me being a financial planner was having such positive experiences in that, even though my mom was mad in the beginning. But I realized, and it took me like two years of telling the story and like thinking about it. I talked to my mom, she doesn't remember, she has no idea why she would be upset about that, blah, blah, blah. I realized the message I got in that moment, and it was reinforced over and over again as I was growing up is, money goes in the bank, it does not come out of the bank. So I love putting money in the bank. I love seeing it grow in the bank. I stress out taking it out because you're not supposed to take it out of the bank. And I'm like, when I finally made that realization, I was like, oh, of course. And of course that's wrong, that's extreme, right? (laughs) So that's one part of me that gets really anxious when I need to take out money. But I do have a spending part who would love to, you know, spend money and travel and buy a nice car and and all of that. And so now it it has room in the conversation. And and the two of those parts and me, myself, have conversations about how much of this do we want to save? How much of it do we want to spend? What do we want to spend it on? What's important? What will add value and quality and fulfillment in my life? What would be just throwing it to the wind and really not make a difference in my life? Yeah. So those are the conversations we have now. So for anybody that's listening, this may be the first time that you're hearing something like this. I'd invite you to just stop and think about what is your earliest money memory? And what lessons did that teach you about money and relationships? And also to hear the permission from Tara that it might take you a few years on Googling all this to get all the pieces because Tara and I can't answer that question for you directly. We, if you were working with us, we could be facilitative and asking questions to help you reflect or and also be okay with any discomfort that might come up. But we don't know the answer. You know the answer that of the meeting you gave, but it's going to take some time for that to kind of bubble up, if you will. And you know, Tara, thinking about this, it's just I feel like we're just getting started into the meat of all this conversation, and I'm really like, we got to bring this episode to a close, otherwise people are going to oh, God. You know, like burn their ears, are going to burn out. I'm not making up stuff. That's the story. That's the story in my head that's burned out. <laughs> a part of you is anxious about making sure that you end on time. Yes, there is definitely a part of me, and I'm, yes, you know, using great IFS language. So this is, well, I'll sidebar on this real quick, but IFS, I think one of the gifts in my mind has been like, being able to say a part of me feels this way, not all of me, and that takes off a lot of stress. So yes, there's a part of me that is very time-oriented, orderly, I have another meeting coming up, so I'm just gonna own, and let's put a pin in this and have a follow-up conversation. We'll make this a two-part episode, so folks, don't worry. You're going to get the second part of this conversation. <laughs> we to talk about families and money and wealth transition. And what we've been doing is just setting up the stage for how we think about it. 
right? Everything that we yeah. just talked about is how we're thinking. Now we're going to talk to you about how we talk with families about family wealth transition in light of what we've just shared. So more to come. Tara, thank you so much for your time today. <laughs> it was a pleasure. It's so much fun. I love talking to you. No, it's always, uh, I, I end up talking too fast because I get so excited. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. All right. We'll be back for part two, everyone. I invite you now to stop for five or 10 minutes and reflect on what you just heard. Maybe even journal about it. Give yourself the time to consider what you just heard and what it means to you. By giving yourself the time to reflect and integrate what you just heard, it will help you along your journey of learning, healing, and growing towards financial intimacy in your life. Please like and follow this podcast and share with someone that would benefit from being on the journey of financial intimacy. Wishing you healthy love and money, Ed.